Association of Nurse Practitioners. I'm your host, AANP President April Kapu, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. The Dean series continues as we hear from Dr. Pamela R. Jeffries, who is well known for her leadership and research in both nursing and healthcare education. Dean Jeffries has been the lead investigator on national grants from the National Institute of Health, Health Resources and Services Administration, National League for Nursing, and the National Council of State Boards of Nursing. She is an innovator in teaching strategies, experiential learning, new pedagogies, and the use of technology. Dr. Jeffries has served as Associate Dean for Academic Programs at Johns Hopkins, Dean of George Washington School of Nursing, and is currently the Dean of the Vanderbilt University School of Nursing. She has published extensively and is the editor of four books, Simulations in Nursing Education, the NLN Jeffries Simulation Theory Monograph, Developing Simulation Centers Using the Consortium Model, and Clinical Simulations in Nursing Education. Our conversation revolves around a subject that is very important to me and to all NPs, NP Education. And you'll hear about innovations in education, the NLN, Jeffrey's Simulation Theory, and the benefits of competency-based learning. Let's get started. Hello, uh, Dean Jeffries. Thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to NP Pulse. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's a delight to have you there, not just because you happen to be Dean of, of where I work and I'm not serving AANP, uh, the Vanderbilt University School of Nursing, but you just recently uh, came to our school. So we're very, very fortunate and we're just del- delighted to have you here today. Um, we would love to start off just by if you could tell a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today as Dean of the School of Nursing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, April. Uh, when I reflect back on my journey, leadership, academic journey, it's pretty typical, uh, pretty typical trajectory. Meaning once I graduated with a baccalaureate nursing, I started practice. I actually was in critical care, uh, more with a focus on cardiovascular. And after a few years in practice, and I went on for my master's. And, you know, like most undergrads, I always, people think they're not going to go back to school because they've had it. Then it only takes a few years and they go back. And uh, with critical care, I love my patients. I love my position. But once I started back uh, on the graduate scene, there was a nursing position opened at Indiana University in Indianapolis at the main campus. And 
I did apply for a part-time position, but it became full-time and okay. I never turned back. That's how I started my academic tra trajectory uh, at Indiana University, working and met, teaching med surge and a critical care course and all that. I love the vibe of the nursing environment, making an impact on new students and um, getting them into our profession and leading them through that pathway. So I was at Indiana University for a long time uh, and ended up moving to Indonesia, then coming back. But anyway, in 2006, I was approached by my dean of nursing at the time. She saw leadership qualities, I guess, in me and asked me to apply for an associate dean for undergraduate program. So that's how my leadership journey began, uh, overseeing the undergraduate program, which was the largest state program at the time in baccalaureate education. And then moving along uh, in 2009, I was recruited at Johns Hopkins to become the senior associate uh -huh. dean for academic affairs. Uh, so this time it wasn't just undergrad, but I was overseeing the curriculum integrity over four programs which uh, that was a big move for me, moving to, from Indiana to the East Coast, Baltimore. But I loved every minute at, at Johns Hopkins. And then from Hopkins, I was recruited. Every time it was almost a recruitment because I always loved every position I was in. I never saw the move. But then when somebody sees something in you or they ask you to apply because of your contributions, um, I do listen because I believe in seizing the opportunity. So I went to GW, George Washington there in D.C. And we had a campus also in Ashburn, Virginia, and was dean there for six years until uh, actually I picked up the search phone call for Vanderbilt. Again, not looking to leave, but um, I enjoyed what I was hearing and felt I could mm -hmm. contribute to Vanderbilt. And as the ninth dean of the School of Nursing, move the school at the next level, uh, even though it's an amazing place already. Wow. So that, so you, you were sought out at every school that you moved to, they actually sought you out and recruited you. That's, that's, that's really, that says a lot. That says a lot about you and how you stand out. You know, I, I always like to ask this question, um, especially for someone like you, that you're, you've made this wonderful journey and, and have been the Dean at these fantastic schools, but what really compelled you? What is your why? Why did you go into nursing to begin with? And I wanted to say, I, we have a similar background. I'm in critical care and cardiovascular, but what's your why? Like, why did you go into nursing to begin with? Well, thanks. That's an interesting question because when I reflect on my background, I actually am from the Midwest. I'm from Indiana, uh, in central rural Indiana. I had no nursing role models, meaning my mother, my grandmother, nobody uh, was a nurse. However, when I was growing up, my neighbor's father was in the hospital and had chronic illness. So I would go with my neighbor, who was my best friend in high school, to see her father. And so we were, we were spending days or weekend day in the hospital. And as a high school kid, you know, everybody's looking at career paths, right? But the environment interested me, the hospital environment and seeing what the nurses did and the autonomy they had. And I love people and the service profession. 
So when it came making a career choice, my senior year in high school, it was like, I'll be a nurse. And that is the trajectory. And of course, I'm so happy that I did. And I did choose a baccalaureate program at the time as well. Uh, But I felt, you know, I was just very fortunate making the right career decision from the get go uh, without a lot of influence or past experience with nursing at all. Wow. And so now you're where you're giving back and you're bringing new nurses into the field. So it's all come full circle. Yeah. So you're super busy and I can't imagine all the things that are happening right now with school and the pandemic and the students coming back. Do you ever find time for yourself? Do you have any sort of a balance or do you ever do anything? Tell us a little bit about you. Do you have interests, hobbies, always want to kind of know the reader to get to know the real Dean Jeffries. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. You're right. Uh, trying to balance work life, have work life balance is a challenge. Uh, I love work and work for me is I, I, I don't see as a hardship, but I do know uh, I, I do try to balance with some activities and what I do. I, I read a lot, uh, mostly, uh, other novels, not, not nursing books, but however, you know, we're always lifelong learners and keeping right, up with right. the latest in the journals and all that. But also during COVID, I picked up uh, a hobby because uh, behind my home in Virginia, where I lived at the time, we did hikes and we had a lane and pathway we would walk. And I noticed there was a rock painter uh, painting rocks and then they were being planted mm-hmm. along the path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I ended up doing whimsical painting on rocks and which brought me joy because I would plant them. And then you go out the next day and 80% of the rocks were gone because children would pick the rocks or they would mm-hmm. move them around. So I, all during the 18 month of COVID, I painted rocks for all the holidays, for the seasons, and it, it brought a lot of joy. And then my children kept sending paint for more <laughs> uh, to do more rocks. But then anyway, I had a tagline at George Washington, the GW Dean rocks. I love uh, and that. And pictures with the rocks. Uh, so that's that's one little thing. And the other, uh, for pastime, I have four children, four uh, young adult children. And I travel to see them. One's in Copenhagen and one's in Florida and two are in San Francisco. So we have them all over. So I'm never lost for anywhere to visit. And also, you know, just to reunite with family. That's wonderful. GW rocks, GW Dean rocks. I love that. I love that. Well, today we really wanted to find out a little bit more, get a little bit more insight into what you do every day and that's give back to the profession. And we really want to better understand NP education. So nurse practitioner education. So many times, um, People, even even NPs try to articulate what all goes into education for an NP. And it's and it's tough to boil it all down. And so we really want to hear from you as the dean. Tell us a little bit more about the tenets of NP education. What makes a nurse practitioner or a nurse that's going to be a nurse practitioner ready for practice when they graduate? We see that they're doing great work out there, the outcomes and the evidence, and they're fantastic and working in lots of different settings, ambulatory, acute, all across the different specialties. 
and just lots and lots of studies showing how effective they are. And they really focus on the whole person, but how do they get to that point? So tell us a little bit more about NP education. So NP education's really important. And I'll just say one, one indicator for a quality program, which we have here at Vanderbilt with our 14 specialties, our quality faculty. High indicator for quality programs are your faculty. And when I look at our NP faculty, they're, they're rock stars. There are many leaders within the profession, uh, not only NP education, but uh, across other professional organizations that they're contributing to. Also, they're leaders in their own expertise. Uh, as I said, Vanderbilt, we have 14 mm -hmm. specialties, but these faculty, they have dedicated their life, whether it's to neonatal uh, practitioners, uh, PMP, acute care. And uh, I've been seen and I've been interviewing, I'm, I'm still new in my role, but I have been interviewing these, uh, the faculty and the faculty leaders, uh, program deans, all of that. So that's one, faculty high quality. Second is your curriculum, the program that's mapped out for our students. And as you alluded to a little bit, nurse, nurse practitioners do a lot. You know, they assess, diagnose, order, interpret medical di uh, tests, prescribe. Uh, they need to collaborate across the continuum, work with families, communities, you know, uh, in addition mm -hmm. to the patients. So the curriculum needs to include all of that. And we do have standards, of course, that we adhere to, the essentials from AACN. And our faculty set curriculum. It goes back to quality faculty again because they create that nurse practitioner curriculum. And there's many standards that we're incorporating, but uh, there could be other, uh, you know, highlights as well. Uh, we, we bring our faculty, our, our, sorry, our students in uh, at Vanderbilt. Uh, they learn through a hybrid method, virtual, particularly during uh, COVID through the mm -hmm. virtual remote, mm -hmm. remote way, but also we bring them in on campus and we immerse them through experiential learning through simulations. Uh, these real-time scenarios where actually our students get to practice their scope of practice as an MP. And what's so rewarding with simulation is not only practicing their real scope of practice uh, in a safe, non-threatening environment, but the faculty can observe <clears throat> that behavior, the performance of the student, and then provide feedback through guided reflection or debriefing. So not every school, many, many schools, uh, for nurse practitioners are offering, of course, the simulation platform, but I feel we've got amazing facility, uh, not only with the high fidelity mannequins and all that, but we also hire standardized patients that provide the human responses and the, you know, realistic uh, discussions and ways mm -hmm. you MPs can interview them in a realistic manner. So that's another uh, high quality for nurse practitioners. But, and then ultimately the outcome for our nurse practitioners are, you know, their knowledge and skills and performance and transition into practice. And some of the indicators there are, are you know, high certification pass rates, the marketability of a Vanderbilt MP or any MP. They're very marketable and how they can transition and do transition to practice. Right. So you mentioned simulation. So let me ask you about that a little bit more. You um, are, so there's something called the Jeffries simulation theory. 
And um, am I getting that right? Is, yes, it's uh, actually the official title is the NLN, Jeffrey Simulation Theory. Gotcha. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I was very fortunate, clear back in early 2000, actually, to uh, be recruited by the National League for Nursing to be a, a program director to conduct a simulation research. Uh, actually, it was more for pre-licensure at the time, and 10 schools in nursing were involved. Uh, some were associate, diploma, and baccalaureate. And we were looking to conduct a study on simulations because it was very embryonic. Uh, there was not a lot out there on simulations. And when you would go to the literature uh, to see what had been done as any good researcher would do, it was very sparse. There was not, a, the literature would say a simulation was done and then anecdotally students enjoyed it. Uh, mm -hmm. But there wasn't it wasn't robust, rigorous or anything. And furthermore, it wasn't clear how simulations were done. So with my group of program coordinators across the U.S. in this multi-site study, one of our first uh, endeavors to create a framework on setting up simulations and the simulation design. And then we could test components of that framework. So initially it was the NLN Jeffrey's simulation framework. And we set up what a simulation would include. That's objectives, there were problem-solving components, student support, active learning, all of the uh, dimensions that you find in simulations today. Uh, that also, of course, included the debriefing, which uh, evidence over the decades have proven, proven that debriefing is really where mm -hmm. it provides the opportunity for students to connect the dots and understand, uh, connect theory to practice. But anyway, it was in um, mid-2014-15 where INAXL, the International Nursing Association of Clinical Simulated Learning, along with the NLN, got researchers together to test components and look at relationships within the framework and worked with a nursing theorist, Beth Rogers. And by 2015, they determined that this was a mid-range theory. So then wow. the framework became NLN Jeffrey Simulation Theory. And it's applicable, uh, not just for pre-licensure, but across the health professions and for MPs, because it's a very broad mid-range theory and it's got the components of what's needed uh, to design a simulation, uh, how, how to facilitate. Uh, you also have the participant or the learner or the new orientee and all these active learning strategies. Wow. It's just, and when you think about it, it's just very high tech today and you have a controlled environment and the learner is there and they have their uh, instructor or their faculty with them. They're going through each assessment procedures, whatever that might be, they're working together and then they have to meet certain competencies. And those competencies have been defined most recently by AACN, the APRN competencies, uh, 29 APRN competencies that they have rolled out, uh, was voted on and approved in April, along with dimensions where those competencies fit. I applaud that work. I think that's very important because now competencies can be measured. It's not just going to mm -hmm. be time-based because we know learners vary, right? Mm -hmm. We have a diversity of learners. I might learn something in two hours where it might take you 
few, one hour, April, you know, right, we're right. all individual, right? And learning needs and strategies do need to be individualized. So now um, with competencies, I do think simulations are very, very key as we move forward, because the big question is, how, how are we going to demonstrate competency achievement? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I do believe as we lead, because this is relatively new since it was voted on in April, competencies could and can be demonstrated through simulations by setting up scenarios where you can demonstrate the, the competency, whether it's diagnostic reasoning, certain patient care, communication and uh, strategies and approaches, uh, physical assessment, whatever that may be, those can be demonstrated, I believe, uh, quite well through simulations. Students are receiving a tremendous experience using simulation in a controlled environment. Can you tell us a little bit more about their interaction with patients in a live clinical setting? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, direct patient care hours are important. And, you know, the nursing curriculum, the the nursing program will dictate how many hours that needs to be. In fact, NOF has also determined, uh, you know, the minimum level. Uh, so there'll always be, of course, as we desire, direct patient care hours. And the known model for NP education today is preceptor-based, just like across other health professions. We compete mm-hmm. now with preceptors for PAs, for, you know, with uh, school of medicine and all that. And that is quite a challenge for NP education. Right now, we know there's shortages in many, many areas, particularly in the rural underserved areas. But we can only increase the number of students enrolled based on the number of clinical sites and preceptors we have, not counting the number of qualified faculty who are doctorate prepared that we can get in and recruit and retain within the academic setting. Wow. So preceptors are very important. And I think it's all our responsibility to give back to the profession and, and be a preceptor if we're out there as a practicing NP. So you've just described several different modalities. So you've described online, which as uh, many professions have gone to um, through the pandemic, you've also described simulation and um, the didactic piece where you're actually in the classroom. Sounds like all the students are coming back now for, for that. Yeah. And, and then the hours at the bedside. So it's really a combination of all of those um, that really surround that learner so that they can be ready uh, for entry-level practice upon graduation. It is a multi-pronged approach. I think it needs to be. And if you look at best practices in education, whether it's nursing education or other types of education, it just doesn't have to be nursing or health professions, but we want to integrate within the curriculum diverse ways of learning because not everybody, you know, learns the same, right? Right. And in a professional program, of course, the direct patient care hours will be utmost important. Uh, And then, you know, our model of care uh, of model of education now is that preceptor base. I really wish we would look at different ways to do this, but we have been stuck on the way that we always do it, still clinical education. Clinical education hasn't changed much over decades, uh, even from when I was in school and others. Uh, And we need to look at new approaches, new innovations, but it's tough. We we continue with the gold standard the same way. 
competency-based education now for MPs. I do believe that's a game changer Mm -hmm. in how we uh, integrate that uh, and how we measure that and how, what, how we implement all that, that, and it's, it's competency-based outcomes uh, is the curriculum. It's got to be based on competency-based outcomes and how we uh, do that. That's uh, another layer and another day for discussion. And so that reminds me of, of, you know, recently we had the release of the future of nursing report, um, 2020, 2030. And in that report, there were several different recommendations. It's fantastic report, but they did spend some time talking about the future of education, nursing education. And so what you're describing is really a giant step into moving the profession forward and moving education forward uh, towards the future and not just in applied um, tactical skills or task, but in many different realms, social determinants of health, health equity, incorporating all of that um, Mm -hmm. as we're moving forward. How do you see the future of nursing in addition to the competency-based um, education, how do you see the future of NP education going? Well, one thing that became very prevalent was the need for public health. Uh, we've been in a public health crisis and also the need uh, for health equity and assessment for the social determinants of health. And nur- nurses have stepped up. They need to continue to step up. And not too long ago, I gave a little mini presentation on the history of nursing and ironically, uh, looking back, how we began in nursing was through public health. Mm-hmm. So here we are back almost full circle and can't say that enough. And the, uh, of course, the future nursing education reports talking a lot about population health, about our communities, about uh, health promotion, wellness, and, and equity for all, not just Americans, but globally. Mm-hmm. So those areas really need to be strongly considered uh, considered in the, in the curriculum. I think many are now, but we need to continue to look at that, assess, and, and making sure that those are being delivered uh, in our nursing education uh, so our students uh, who become new grads can, of course, uh, apply all their learning to the transition to practice. Well, this has been wonderful. So I, I better understand. So we talked about some of the basic tenets of education and that there's a standard, there's a standard that must be achieved in order for an NP to graduate from a university. So I ask you uh, for the nurse practitioner graduate today, tell me about NP education. What would you share with them so that they would better understand how they can articulate this wealth of knowledge and skill that they have just uh, been through immersed in over the prior years? Great question. And if I, and I'm meeting new students now, we're just welcoming, (laughs) you know, during the orientation phase here. But what I would love to say and can say and am saying that I am so glad they've come into the profession uh, for nurse practitioner to advance their career. They're greatly needed particularly now with the nursing physician shortage, particularly in rural underserved areas. Your role is needed to provide health, access and care to all people. That patient education nurse practitioners provide in in addition to follow-up and providing that continuity of care are major areas where our NPs add value and looking at the patient in a holistic manner. 
uh, is so greatly needed, not only today, but in the future. This is partly what the future nursing education report was saying mm-hmm. uh, in the, the holistic manner, but also not just a patient, but uh, across the lifespan, the communities, uh, the po- population. So that's what I would say. Uh, and I'm so I would welcome them with open arms. And that's really the essence of nursing is, is the whole person and, and taking into account the whole person. And so it sounds like your program, as well as many other programs, really take the time to wrap that education around that nurse that's going through the program so that when they do graduate, they have all of these different pieces, these elements so that they can go out and practice and, and be effective. So they is really, there any, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, no, you're, you absolutely captured it correctly. And, you know, I talked about the quality of faculty and that truly is a high indicator for a quality program, quality graduates, but also the clinical sites. And I'll say our nurses, you know, they're at BUMC, the Vanderbilt Medical Center. They're getting wonderful experiences there. And preceptors, I would say for the most part, do want to give back and mm-hmm. want to elevate. They want success for that new NP. Uh, Their success is our success, right? Uh, Right. So that's all looked upon very highly here. Well, it has just been a delight to be able to speak with you today. And I've learned more uh, just by speaking and kind of listening and understanding through your lens as the dean of the school. So thank you so much for your time and for joining us today. It has been enlightening. And I hope that all of our listeners out there really have a deep appreciation of all that has gone into their education as a nurse practitioner. Thank Thank you you. very much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Jeffries. It was my pleasure to speak with you about the nuances of effective advanced practice nursing education, from the importance of faculty and curriculum to the groundbreaking work of simulation-based learning. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to NP Pulse. If you're interested in a career related to nursing education, I encourage you to consider completing the educational leadership sessions that are available through October 20th in the 2022 AANP Fall Conference On Demand platform. By completing all 12 sessions, you can earn an educational leadership certificate. No matter where you practice, AANP offers a wealth of educational resources for you and your patients. Membership in AANP supports the development of these many, many resources, as well as advocacy efforts at the state and federal levels to remove outdated barriers to healthcare delivery. In fact, I hope to see you all at the 2023 AANP Health Policy Conference in Washington, D.C., January 29 through 31. I encourage you to get involved with your National Professional Association and add your voice to those of our NP colleagues nationwide. Please subscribe to this podcast, share it with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. (laughs) 